High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, welcome, welcome to the DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM, the show where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. I'm Nikki Seberini with you for the next hour, and uh, I'm still... Catching my breath, really, um, you know, listening to the COVID news and we are all very aware in our community, the amount of losses, um, the amount of yeah loss that we're all dealing with. And um, I'm so sad because just before coming on air, I heard of um, someone very dear to all of us at High FM who has passed um, you know, he's made it very possible for us to do what we do, and that is broadcast to you during times of lockdown, during times when we are stuck at home. Um, DJ Flo was just always, um, yeah, he was just, he was, he always made it possible for us. I had the, um, I had the opportunity of working with DJ Flo, gee, for many years, and uh, apologies for this emotional response. But as I said, just before I came on air, I heard that this morning we lost him. And um, he was a very special human being and he will be sorely, sorely missed. So Flo, wherever you are and uh, looking down on us, um, this one is for you. Uh, we dedicate this to you in honor of you Thank you for everything that you brought us. You um, certainly are a beautiful, beautiful soul, and we shall miss you dearly. So I think it is, you know, because you you honestly were such a champion, and today we are going to be talking to a champion, indeed a, a multiple award-winning South African marathon and ultra-marathon athlete who will be um, sharing his story of how he overcame so much, how he won so many marathons, how he introduced um, the park runs and how he continues to motivate and inspire us as South Africans. So really, DJ Flo, I'm, I'm so excited to be having Bruce Fordyce on the show today. And as I said, with you and your beautiful, bright, shining star throughout the show. So um, because things are sort of all over the place with last minute. I am waiting for Bruce Fordyce to join us. I am hoping that he is going to be joining us shortly. I'm going to wait to hear from the technical people who will be telling me yay or nay. Um, until we do try, I would like to also let you know on the show um, today, we're going to continue to bring you inspiring stories. And we have a, a DL Link warrior and a DL Link angel. He's going to be joining us a little bit later, Lionel Greenberg. Um, who is also a, a DA counselor and, uh, really he in 2005, um, was diagnosed with lymphoma and we're going to be talking about climbing mountains and doing all sorts of things, um, raising funds and the importance of donations. So that's going to be coming up a little bit later, but I'm waiting to hear from our technical side. Um, I think let's take Hi. a break. Oh, there we have Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Hi. 
Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. I have to confess that up until now, we've been doing Skype calls, and this is yes. our first Zoom. So we were uh, a little bit all over the place. So apologize uh, to you, uh, Bruce. No, 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 no. Don't worry. I'm uh, too far astray. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It really is wonderful to have you on the show. We have you for a while. And I, you know, for our listeners, Bruce, we know you as the man who runs. We know you as yeah. this inspiring figure who won the Comrades Marathon nine times. You've broken records around the world. And also, of course, inspiring just everyday South Africans to get up and run on a Saturday with the park run. And we'll get to the park run because we're not sure what's happening with COVID. But let's talk about the Bruce Fordyce, and I never knew this, that was born in Hong Kong. Really, Bruce? Yes, uh, born in Hong Kong and spent the the first uh, seven years of my life in the Far East. Uh, wow, wow! And I've, what impact did that have on you, Bruce? That's incredible. Ma- massive impact. I mean, I, I just—it uh, was a, a magical place to grow up. I, I've got to um, explain how I, how I was born in Hong Kong, and that is that my my grandfather was a postmaster, and he was the postmaster in Lady Brand, and then was eventually, in those days, given Basutoland, as it was known in those days, to look after from a postal point of view. And my father uh, grew up in Lady Brand as a young boy, and he said it was a fantastic place to grow up, scrambling over Free State Mountains and, and all that sort of thing, he said. But suddenly oh. hormones kicked in, and he just realized, is this it for the rest of my life? And so he decided he wanted to see the world and what you could do in those days, which you can still do now, by the way, because we're part of the Commonwealth, is you could join the British Army. And uh, he joined... Uh, the British Army and, and a regiment called the Black Watch, which is legendary, very famous. He was first Transvaal Scottish, and they're a brother regiment of the Black Watch. And then he uh, didn't enjoy it there, so he transferred to a very famous regiment called the Gurkhas. And the Gurkhas are uh, Nepalese soldiers who are part of the British Army, and they were stationed in Hong Kong patrolling the border, keeping Chinese out of China. So, it was a, uh, so I was born in in Hong Kong, and then he uh, served in Singapore and Malaya, Brunei, uh, um, Borneo, Sarawak. And so I grew up in those places in a very kind of Camelot-type environment because if you were the son of a British Army officer in those days, it was a, an amazing adventure. Um, yeah, and so that's how I was born in Hong Kong, but eventually we returned to South Africa. And so, you know, if you say to me what... What color is my blood? My blood is green. I'm a Springbok supporter. I'm a South African. Well, I mean, it's an extraordinary story, Bruce, because the first seven years really are your formative years. You know, there's a pretty powerful in defining who you are. And we're talking about a, as you say, um, in the time when your, your, you know, your father was doing incredible stuff. So, so living such an extraordinary life. Um, when you came back to South Africa, uh, well, for you it wasn't back, but when your family returned to South Africa, how was that for you as well at the age of seven, having to adapt to, to such a different culture? Um, yeah, I was also at school in England for uh, four years because uh, my father taught jungle warfare at Sandhurst in the UK, which is the military, uh, it's officers training um, academy in, in, the, in the UK. So I was there and then, then we came back to South Africa. But no, I loved South Africa instantly. I fell immediately and intensely and immediately and just instantly in love with it. Um, 
The only thing that was a complete puzzle and a mystery to me was this thing called apartheid because when I had grown up in the Far East, my childhood friends had been Chinese and Malay and Indian, and I just uh, just couldn't understand, um, you know, this whole system of apartheid. Um, I think because my father was a soldier, there was a kind of a, an honor code inbred into me. Uh, um, I, to this day, cannot bear injustice. I cannot bear um, cruelty. And I particularly, the thing that I hate most of all is arrogance. People who are arrogant and pompous about their position in life or whatever, when they've done absolutely nothing to deserve it, or there are people, you know, more important than them who do low-key, low-profile things that are far more important. So, That upbringing, you're right, those first seven years were very formative from that point of view. Wow. Uh, Bruce, we're going to take a quick break. Please stay with us. Um, I want to continue with this incredible story of yours. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to the DL Link Show. I have Bruce, Bruce Fordyce, um, on the show today. Um, and we affectionately know him as the man who just keeps on running and of course does us proud, um, breaking so many records, winning the South African Comrades Marathon a record nine times, um, of which eight wins were exec- uh, uh, consecutive. Uh, I also won the London to Brighton Ultra Marathon three years in a so an extraordinary, extraordinary achievement. And uh, Bruce, we started off, you said that you were born in Hong Kong, those first seven formative years, then you were in the UK. And so you returned to South Africa, or your family returned to South Africa at the age of when you were 13 years old. So you arrive um, in this beautiful country that you say you loved instantaneously, but of course, mm-hmm. a system of government, which um, represented everything that you so clearly said you hate. You said you hate injustice. You hate cruelty. You hate arrogance. Um, and that must have been a tough one for you. How did you reconcile as a young teenager growing up in a country um, that you loved but was difficult in terms of this apartheid government? How, how did that impact you at that time? It Well, you know, I'd love to say I was passionate and I did something amazing, but I, I didn't. You know, I just I got on with life, but it was something that uh, continually uh, irritated and, and puzzled me. Um, but make no mistake, I took a full advantage of the privileged, uh, background and existence that I had. I had two loving, supportive parents. Actually, I had four parents in the end because my parents divorced, but uh, I've always said divorce is a sad thing. But in my case, I actually gained two other parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and all four of them remained friends. And then I had a, an unbelievable education at, uh, uh beautiful school called Woodmead School, which was quite uh, revolutionary in its day. It, it no longer exists. But uh, And then a, 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 a wonderful uh, academic time at Wits University. So I, I made full use of my advantages, make no mistake about that. Um, and uh, anyway, I was, when I was at university, I was a passionate student um, and uh, passionate about, uh, you know, about social matters and political th- matters. So um, but I would be, I would be lying if I said I was, you know, I cursed every day that I was a white South African under apartheid. I, I certainly didn't. Mm. 
but you but you did make statements i mean uh there's a story of you uh, winning the marathon and were you wearing black or did you have a black armband i mean that was that was your way of making a statement bruce yes uh, so um you know when i was at university we did all the all the right things we uh, i i've just finished a book which i'd love to talk about later but uh um and in that book i i, I discussed the 1976 june 16 1976 when we but students naively thought we would march to Soweto in in support of the of the pupils there who were being uh, killed and and were uh, demonstrating and we got absolutely the only word for it is murdered by the police on the Queen Elizabeth Bridge that's how far we got about half a kilo from about 400 meters from Vitz before we were donned um so you know I was part of that I was I was on the Vitz SRC um and i was involved in that and then the armband thing was it was um that comrades the comrades marathon in 1981 was part of the apartheid uh 20 years of apartheid nationalist government celebrations and those of us who disagreed with it uh, wore armbands to protest that we didn't love we didn't want our beloved race to be part of such a festival and so we thought the best way that way that we could run and show our displeasure was to wear armbands and so that was for me a horrible time because i was pelted with tomatoes and eggs i mean you now you can't find anyone who actually voted nationalist government in those days but i can promise you on the road between peter maritzburg and durban in 1981 i was the most unpopular person on the road and i was booed and given a horrible time by the way with a with an armband i was just the um the high profile one because i won and thank goodness i won because i so naive that I, it only occurred to me a few days afterwards and if you're going to make some kind of a protest like that that is going to be largely unpopular with the spectators who are watching and by the way not with all South Africans um i have some friends peter paul and guenya at tokyo sequale who were on robben island and they were amazed at the time that there were whiteies who were showing some kind of support but um if you're going to make that that sort of protest uh you better win <laughs> there's no other position that you're going to finish because if you don't win the spectators and those who hate you are going to say you see the commie got it he didn't win but I, <laughs> so yeah so it was it was was that the motivating factor bruce or did you say actually only afterwards you realized it no only afterwards i was so naive look i got angry you throw a tomato at me and i get angry and um i'm a, a very aggressive testosterone fueled person when i put a pair of running shoes on If you now throw a tomato at me and it hits me I'm going to make doubly sure that I win. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, I was an angry finisher and a sad finisher. It was sad for me because it was my first win and I should have been absolutely overjoyed because I can't tell you what an honor and a privilege it is to be a Comrades Marathon champion. It's something you take with you for the rest of your life. You've only got to speak to some of the old winners, the other winners and they will tell you It is an amazing accolade to take with you for the rest of your life and my first one was spoiled. Um luckily I was I was lucky enough to win some more so um that memory is now something that's very proud in my heart. Um uh, and and what I did learn as well is that the world loves a winner. So I was very unpopular in that first when I wasn't very popular the second time because they saw here comes the commie again. But by the time I'd won 3 or 4 South African sports fans had taken me to their heart so then I was a popular winner. 
Wow, that's quite a reveal, Bruce, because I mean, I always see you as the darling of the South African Comrades Marathon. You know, I'd never heard of the story. Um, <laughs> and, and so that is interesting. And to have that first win and to feel like you're unpopular, to have the tomatoes and eggs thrown at you, it, it, is it, is it difficult for you now that you are the darling and people adore you and, you know, they do put you on this pedestal? What is it like to be? so disliked when you have achieved something like that. I mean, you know, how long does that stay with you for? Oh, yeah, it definitely stayed with me for about a year. But you remember, you've got to remember it was a certain section of the community that didn't like me. So only in, in later years I've, I've met, you know, black South Africans who followed comrades and said they were they were supporting me all the way. Um, so, uh, it, it, yeah, it was probably about a year, but very quickly um, – People started to like me. And, and forget the politics part of it. I just think about sport in general. Um, I, I'm not a, a tennis player, but I love, I love following Wimbledon every year. And, you know, when um, Bjorn Borg was winning and he was the darling of center court and he won five times and then along came this rude, brash, arrogant American called John McEnroe who kind of mm-hmm. knocked his perch. And then McEnroe became the darling of center court. So, you kind of in, inherit the role. So before me was a lovely, lovely guy with great mates, Alan Robb, and Alan won four times. And Alan is the direct opposite of me. I'm a show-off. I'm extrovert. Uh, it would take me five minutes to tell you, if, we, if you had never met me and we were in conversation, it would take me about five minutes to tell you that I'm a comrade's winner. If you sat, <laughs> if you sat with Alan all day and plied him with, with alcohol, he would tell you that he's won four times. And so I displaced Alan in a he was the champion before me, and I knocked Alan off the top uh, uh, step on the on the podium. And um, so the the Durban public, so to speak, that follows comrades were unhappy that this young upstart from Bits was now the the new winner. They loved Alan. And then, by the way, when I finally got beaten, I got beaten by Nick Bester, um, who beat me in 1991. And Nick and I are the best of friends. We will always just tease each other. Um, everyone hated Nick because now how can, <laughs> so you don't want to be the, especially a popular winner. You don't want to be the person who finally beats them. We're, we're quite fickle, aren't, aren't we, Bruce? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I love that you, you said, I hate arrogant people. And yet you're yeah. the first to put up your hand and say, you know, I'm, I'll tell you all about myself in the first few minutes that you've met me. Um, I have this testosterone. If you throw a tomato at me, boy, will I win the race. How do you reconcile yeah, yeah. that? <laughs> um, no, so I try hard, you know. Um, uh, I've actually just written a little, little like an essay for the blog that I do. And one of the things I love because I went to school in England and because of the direction that I followed in life is that I've got a quite a good classical um, education. And so I wrote this piece about um, Roman generals when they won a great battle or a campaign were given back in Rome a special uh, parade called a triumph. And that's where we got a triumph from. And the triumph was that they rode in a gold-plated beautiful chariot with four magnificent white stallions pulling them in front of them or behind them were all the slaves and captured enemies of the campaign they just fought their their conquering legions were there with their bugles and their standards and whatever and the people of rome threw flower petals and adored them and drank wine and it was a massive massive thing and so the general who was having this triumph uh 
would be in danger of becoming arrogant and getting this, the feeling I could stand, I could stand to be emperor. I'm so popular. Why well, I might even be God. I might be a God. And so there was a little slave boy who rode alongside him who was given the job of tugging his toga. And he had to tug the, the general's toga every now and again and say, uh, memento mori, which basically meant general, you two will die. Uh, and sure. what it was, um, remember you two are immortal. Uh, and to humble. So what I try and do with myself every now and again is just humble myself as much as I can. I tug at my own toga every now and again and say, stop it. Stop talking about yourself. Listen to what other people have got to say, you know. <laughs> so, but I, it's, it, I, I can go on a bit. That's yeah. a great story. No, it's a great story. I think we all need the little toga pullers in our lives. Um, well, yeah. Some of our, right. some of our leaders do. That's for sure. Absolutely. For yeah. sure, Bruce. So, you know, so you talk about being kind of on this golden chariot, which is where you were, but then you did something else incredible. You brought it right down to the masses, to the people, and you said, you know what, you can run. You don't have to run a marathon, but you can run. Get out of your house on a Saturday morning, get into the parks, join other people, get fit and get healthy, and you introduce the park run. Um, yeah. So that's that's pretty epic. Well, to me, the park run is the joy of my life. So. Um, one of our passionate park runners wrote to me, sent me a lovely email a while ago and said to me, uh, Bruce, your comrades' wins were for yourself and your marathon wins that you won were for yourself. And if you inspired people to, to run and to run races like the comrades, that's amazing. But he said to me, but park run will be your legacy. And I really, one of the best compliments that I could ever be paid because I'm even getting a lump in my throat now. We had no idea that we would start um, with one park run at Delta Park in Joburg, and 26 people came. And before lockdown, we were about 230 park runs in southern Africa because we're moving up through Africa, 230 different venues and 1.2 million members. And the magic of park run is that the word run is wrong. It should be park run slash walk because yeah. – and half our people don't run a step. And it's the one place that they can come. It's free. It's Saturday morning. It's 5Ks. You can walk and you are treated equally as the, we don't talk about winners at Parkland. There's a first finisher and a last finisher. And uh, I've made up this imaginary character, but Tani Labaskafni, Tani Mildred Labaskafni at the back, she is as important as the person who comes in first. So, um, we wait for all of you. No one will laugh at you. We take your time. But what we've learned about parkrun, amazingly, is that it's actually not really that much to do with the exercise. It's to do with society and communities getting together. People cannot wait to see each other on a Saturday morning. And to, and to the best word is that Afrikaans word, to care with each other. You know, they, they just want to be together. And so you cannot believe the lonely, dispirited, desperate people out there who want parkrun back. And the most important group, and I didn't even mention them, are in fact, parkruns are organized and run by volunteers. And the volunteers come along, they do the timing, the marshalling, the scanning of your barcode. Don't ever have to register and print a little barcode. It's all free. And that barcode gets scanned when you cross the finish line, you get your result. Um, and those uh, volunteers around South Africa are beside themselves. And I'll give you a good example. Port Alfred Parkrun, which is a beautiful one along the Cowie River. It is the, it is 
the volunteers there are mainly, largely, ladies from the old age care home in the area. And the matron wrote to us a couple before we got locked down and said, you have no idea, you have extended the life of these ladies by a couple of years. Saturday, incredible. The most exciting day. They do their hair. They, they do their hair. They go out there. They can't do 5Ks, but they just love to be part of it and to, and to have 500 people who are running saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Aww. That is, we, we have to get back. We have to get Park Run back. I have tried. I'm going ballistic because nobody's, I'm not a COVID denialist or anything like that. It's a deadly disease. It's horrible. But you have very little chance of catching it in an outdoor environment when you are running or exercising. And we would do all the safety protocol, you know, the sanitizing, the wearing masks, etc. The distance, whatever is wrong. Distance from each other. Maybe yeah. not our biggest ones, which, you know, our biggest one is Durban, North Beach, is 2,500 people. So maybe that's not quite ready to start. But we could get all our smaller ones going in the distant communities. We are beside ourselves trying to do it. And at the moment, we're talking to a blank wall. You know, it, it, I, anyway, it's, uh, it, we will be back. We will be happy. We will be park running again one day. I'm not going to get into a whole discussion about, you know, people sitting in a restaurant close to one yeah. another and that being okay, but a park run not. I'm, I'm just not going to engage in that, but I am going to say that I hope, and I think I speak on behalf of, as you've said, thousands and thousands of people. Well, you yeah. know, you talk about 1.2 million people, part of the park run walk. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that it comes back, Bruce, uh, for oh, everybody, yes, for the runners, well, the walkers, for the volunteers, you know, and, and a bit of a sense of normality and good for everybody's health. We hope so. We really yes. hope Thank so. Thank you. Such an incredible initiative. So you mentioned writing a book. Tell us a little bit yes. more about that. Thank you, Nikki, because now I can get a, I can get a plug. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know one thing for me about lockdown, and let me tell you, I have hated lockdown. Can you imagine those first five weeks? It was 50 oh. of my garden to get a 5K. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so the one good thing is that I've, there's, each of us has a book inside us, and I've managed to get that out of me. And what I did, so it sounds a bit dull at first for a, for a person who's not a runner, but what I did was I decided to write a book for comrades novices. So people were running their very first comrades because there is nobody more scared, more excited, um, more more desperate to get information about how they can do it successfully. So I wrote a book based on my own training diaries for my very first comrades. And for some strange reason, the day I started running, training specifically for comrades, not to lose weight, not to get fit, to run comrades, was actually almost a calendar year and I kept a diary every single day of what I'd done and how I felt. And so I used that as a guide, and then I've put, um, you know, advice next to it. Like, this was a good idea. This wasn't a good idea. Uh, you will notice here that I didn't run this day. Why didn't I run? Not because I felt I needed a rest, but because the, da- the night before, Bits University put on a Monty Python festival, and they <laughs> gave free cheap wine. <laughs> you know, more, so I didn't run. Next day. <laughs> so I've got all the honest stuff in there. Um, and then what I've done is a friend of mine um, who I asked to sort of read it and give me his honest opinion. I put in a lot of stories and stuff. So he said, Bruce, it's a really nice mix of professional advice, 
personal anecdotes. So I've got stories in there. My girlfriend at the time broke up with me and I had a broken heart and my running saved me. Um, I'm really going downhill. Um, and uh, I wrote to her and I've got permission from her to put her name in it. So she said, no, she just wants to see what picture I use of her. <laughs> anyway, um, and then it's also got the politics of the time. So I mentioned earlier that okay. June 16. Well, I started two days later. So I started. Bruce, we, we, we're running out of time. I'm, 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 okay. I so then very quickly, I'll just so where can people get the book very quickly? It'll be in the bookshops. Uh, it's called Winged Messenger, named after Hermes, the winged messenger of the god. And Hermes is the emblem on the comrade's logo. It's the comrade's logo. So it's called Winged Messenger. And it'll be in all the shops next month. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Oh, Bruce, thank you. Thank you for sharing the stories. So wonderful having you on the show. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. you. Thank we're going to take a break. And after the break, we're going to be crossing over to Lionel. So please stay with us. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to the DL Link Show. Um, of course, today being Thursday the 28th is also Tubishvat, which is quite interesting that we're having all of this rain because it is the rain that feeds our beautiful, beautiful trees. And last night the doorbell rang and there was the most gorgeous gift from the DL Link. And I know that so many of our warriors and angels and sponsors received it. And what I loved the, the most was the profound note that was there and it said what should we learn from Shvat and the holiday of the trees um, it, and Tubishvat is the new year of the trees it's not celebrated in the spring but in the winter not at a time in which everything is already blossoming and ripe but at a time in which we do not yet see the results we do not get everything here and now but rather we wait at the moment we only have to plant to irrigate, to invest, to believe, to hope. It reminds us not to give up. And I think all of you listening to this, these beautiful blessings, these beautiful words, thank you, Mish and the team, not to give up. You know, our cancer warriors, all of us who are going through the challenges with COVID, not to give up. So the DL link says, may your life be filled with blessings of kindness. And that's the wheat, harmony, the grapes, foundation from the olives and perfect health always. And this is just a message from one of the DL link warriors and what this, this gift means to her. Hi, I hope you're well. I just want you to know that I just received the Tubishvat parcel. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, I actually feel that it's a hug both from DL Link and from Hashem because usually I always try to have a Tubishvat Seder, but it's very hard this year being in isolation and not being able to go out and buy the stuff myself because I'm is limited of what I've been managed able to get online and um you know, I do have somebody helps me out a little bit with the shopping that I can't get online, but I only like asking her for ready essentials. And so actually for my plate of the Shiva Minim, um, I was just going to put some olive oil and some flour on it and look at it. And then your gift arrived right now. Um, and it's also, so thank you. It's also a real treat because there's no local Passy's Royal Bakery, um, only in Seapoint. And again, um, only if people go through that sometimes they can ask me to get it. So I'm looking forward to the muffins as well. They look like a treat. I'm assuming they're parov. If they're not, um, please let me know. If I don't hear from you, I'm going to just assume that they're parov. 
And again, I think in Joburg, pretty much everything's past Israel, or if it was baked by you. Um, but really, just, just, you know, as I say, it's 11 months, um, in, in isolation and just, just really, it feels like a hug. So thank you again and Tip Schwarzemeer and Tiske Lemitzvah's Kaltav. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And I'd like to cross over to a cancer warrior and a dear link angel, Lionel Greenberg. I hope Lionel can hear us. We were having a bit of a problem. Lionel, are you there? Lionel? Uh, I am. Good, good morning, everybody and all the listeners. I'm here online. I can oh, hear thank you. Thank you, Lionel. And thank you for being so very patient. Unfortunately, because of the technical problems we've had, we've kind of run out of time. But Lionel, you have really had quite a, a, a run from being diagnosed with lymphoma in 2005. And also you have a close association with the DR link. Perhaps you can expand on that. Yes. Well, firstly, thanks very much for the gift that I received yesterday. It was lovely. I didn't manage to have my breakfast this morning uh, in preparation for a council meeting, so the goodies came in handy. So uh, th- thanks to everybody again. Thanks to Michelle, and thanks to everybody at High FM for, uh, at uh, Dealing for doing such a great job. Um, Lionel, enjoy it, by the way. And when you talk about, you know, we uh, we know you're a DA uh, councillor, so you so you're very very busy. What is the what what is it the fundraising that you've got involved with with climbing mountains? What's happening with that? Well, uh, briefly after I was diagnosed with um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2005, I uh, con- concluded my treatment eventually in 2010, and my Oncologist, uh, I have to name him because I, I really am grateful and one can never say thank you for, to somebody for saving your life. But, uh, Adam Nosworthy, uh, gave me the challenge and he said, how about climbing Kilimanjaro as a, as a token of advancing and bringing alertness to people about cancer and maybe also specifically non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and the type of drugs that you took in order to help you Get over. That was my first bout of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma before I relapsed in 2012. And uh, would you say? I mean, because we've we've discussed lymphoma before in terms of donation. What what do you have to say about that, Lionel? Well, the uh, when you say donation, I'm not too sure. Blood, to blood, uh, donating, d- donating uh, uh, blood, and because um, I, I saw that there was a fundraiser around that. Did I did I read the wrong information? Well, I've been involved in a fair amount of publicity, and it's always essential from a social perspective that we should always be trying to give of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is a life has a social component to it. Uh, in, in African terms, they call it Ubuntu. If it affects you, it affects the, the village. So we, we uh, need to get out there as best as possible and do what we can do to save another human's life. And my first association with the South African National Blood Transfusion Center is when I w- uh, was involved in an organization called Bene Brit. And down at the age of uh, 12 years old, I used to join my family who used to service the blood uh, the blood bank in Hillbrow. So we used to plug, uh, punt the, um, sorry, not punt. We used to uh, assist the patients with packing up the blood after they donated and we gave of ourselves, um, unwaveringly to everybody. 
That's incredible. Well, that in itself is inspiring, Lionel. And during these times, we all seem to be contracting and into our homes. And uh, we we should always continue to to remind ourselves that you know the giving, the giving of blood, the being there for one another, um, so so very important. So, Lionel, I, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show today. All the very best. Whatever it is you're doing as a DA counselor, go and change the world for us, or at least South Africa if you can. And, uh, yeah, just be great having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Um, so there we have it. Thank you very much for tuning in. Um, I do hope, as I said, I started off the show talking about DJ Flo, who passed away this morning. Um, such an integral part of the DL Link show and High FM. And as I said, dedicating that show to you, Flo, and to you listening. May your week ahead be a good one. May it be easy. Uh, may it be joyful and may it be filled with peace. From me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, do take care. Bye-bye. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.